Welcome to Volume 11 of The Mating Season. Chapter 27 My first act on reaching the sleeping quarters was to take pencil and paper and sit down and make out a balance sheet as follows. Sundered Hearts 1. Esmond 2. Corky 3. Gussie 4. Madeline 5. Officer Dobbs 6. Queenie 7. Catsmeat 8. Gertrude Reunited Hearts 1. Esmond 2. Corky 3. Gussie 4. Madeline 5. Officer Dobbs 6. Queenie 7. Catsmeat 8. Gertrude It came out exactly square not a single loose end left over. With a not unmanly sigh, for if there is one thing that is the dish of the decent-minded man, it is seeing misunderstanding between loving hearts cleared up. Especially in the springtime, I laid down the writing materials and was preparing to turn in for the night when Jeeves came shimmering in. Oh, hello, Jeeves, I said, greeting him cordially. I was rather wondering if you would show up. Big night, what? Extremely, sir. I showed him the balance sheet. No flaws in that, I think. None, sir. Gratifying, what? Most gratifying, sir. And as always, due to your unremitting efforts. It is very kind of you to say so, sir. Not at all, Jeeves. We chalk up one more of your triumphs on the slate. I will admit that for an instant during the proceedings when you gave Gussie that alibi, I experienced a momentary doubt as to whether you were on the right lines, feeling that you were but landing Casmeat in the bullion. But calmer reflection told me you were up to it. You felt that if Casmeat stood in peril of receiving an exemplary sentence, Gertrude Winkworth would forget all that had passed and would cluster round him, her gentle heart melted by his distress. Am I right? Quite right, sir. The poet Scott. Pigeonhole the poet Scott for the moment, or I shall lose the thread of my remarks. Very good, sir. But I know what you mean. Oh, woman in our hours of ease, what? Precisely, sir. Uncertain, coy, and hard to please. When? Pain and anguish wring the brow. A ministering angel. Thou. And so on and so forth. You can't stump me on the poet Scott. That is one more of the things I used to recite in the old days. First, charge of the light brigade, or bend battle. Then, in response to gales of applause, the poet Scott has an encore. But to return to what I was saying, uh, there, as I suspected would be the case, Jeeves, I can't remember what I was saying. I warned you what would happen if you steered the conversation to the poet Scott. You were speaking of the reconciliation between Miss Winkworth and Mr. Pierwright, sir. Of course. Well, I was about to say that having studied the psychology of the individual, you foresaw what would occur, and you knew that Casmeat wouldn't be in any real peril. Esmond Haddock was not going to jug the brother of the woman he loved. Exactly, sir. You can't get engaged to a girl with one hand and send her brother up for thirty days with the other. No, sir. And your subtle mind also spotted that this would lead to Esmond Haddock defying his aunts. I thought the intrepid Haddock was splendidly firm, didn't you? Unquestionably, sir. It's nice to think that he and Corky are now headed for the centre aisle. I paused and looked at him sharply. You sighed, Jeeves. Yes, sir. Why did you sigh? I was thinking of Master Thomas, sir. The announcement of Miss Pierbright's betrothal came as a severe blow to him. 
I refuse to allow my spirits to be lowered by any such side issues. Waste no time commiserating with young Thomas, Jeeves. His is a resilient nature and the agony will pass. He may have lost Corky, but there's always Betty Grable or Dorothy L'Amour or Jennifer Jones. I understand those ladies are married, sir. That won't affect Thomas. He'll be getting their autographs just the same. I see a bright future ahead for him. Or rather, I said correcting myself, fairly bright. There is that interview with his mother to be got over first. It has already occurred, sir. I goggled at the man. What do you mean? My primary motive in intruding upon you at this late hour, sir, was to inform you that her ladyship is downstairs. I quivered from brilliantine to shoe sole. And Agatha? Yes, sir. Downstairs? Yes, sir, in the drawing room. Her ladyship arrived some few moments ago. It appears that Master Thomas, unwilling to occasion her anxiety, wrote her a letter informing her that he was safe and well at, unfortunately, the postmark King's Deverell on the envelope. Oh, my gosh! She came racing down? Yes, sir. And? A somewhat painful scene took place between mother and son, in the course of which Master Thomas happened to... Mention me? Yes, sir. He blew the gaff? Yes, sir. And I was wondering whether in these circumstances you might not consider it advisable to take an immediate departure down the water pipe. I understand there is an excellent milk train at 2.54. Her ladyship is expressing a desire to see you, sir. It would be deceiving my public to say that for an instant I did not quail. I quailed. As a matter of fact, like Billio. And then suddenly it was as if strength had descended upon me. Jeeves, I said, this is grave news, but it comes in a moment when I am well fitted to receive it. I've just witnessed Esmond Haddock pound the stuffing out of five ants, and I feel that after an exhibition like that, it would ill beseem a Worcester to curl up before a single ant. I feel strong and resolute, Jeeves. I shall go downstairs and pull an Esmond Haddock on an Agatha, and if things look like becoming too sticky, I can always borrow that cosh of yours. What? I square the shoulders and strode to the door, like Child Roland, about to fight the pain him. The End P.S. By popular demand, Esmond Haddock. Hoppity. Christopher Robin goes hoppity hop. Hoppity hoppity hop. Whenever I tell him politely to stop, he says he can't possibly stop. If he stopped hopping, he couldn't go anywhere. Poor Christopher Robin. Couldn't go anywhere. That's why he always goes hoppity hoppity, hoppity hoppity, hop. Thank you, Esmond. This is your narrator, Jim Campanella. We hope that you've enjoyed this Uvula audio presentation of The Mating Season by P.G. Wodehouse. Performance copyright 2008 by Uvula Audio. All rights reserved. The opening and closing themes were written by the well-known BBC composer Nigel Hess. Although the themes were not written originally for this purpose, they fit the story perfectly. Obviously, the Hoppity Hop poem is from A.A. A. Milne's World of Winnie the Pooh. Please feel free to write us and tell us what you think at uvulaaudio 
at uvulaaudio.com. And check out our new MySpace website to contact fellow listeners, myspace.com slash uvulaaudio. We are listed on Podcast Alley, as many of you probably know by now. Please feel free to vote for the adult or kids bookcasts so we can get more listeners. As usual, check out our Cafe Press website for t-shirts, etc. For other Uvula Audio titles, please go to our website at www.uvulaaudio.com. Our new podcast starting next week will be something special for us. It will be podcast both on the kids and adult podcast streams. We will be celebrating the 75th anniversary of The Man of Bronze by Lester Dent this year. The Man of Bronze is a classic of pulp fiction literature from the 1930s from which innumerable superheroes of the 20th century were based. The hero of the novel, Doc Savage, was the original archetype for the adventuring scientist Superman. The story is a little dated after all this time, but still a rousing adventure for older kids and parents alike. We really think that you will enjoy this as much as we do. After The Man of Bronze, we are planning to podcast the books The Enchanted Isle of You by L. Frank Baum on the Kids Podcast stream, and on the Adult Podcast, we will be presenting Space Hounds of IPC, a science fiction classic by E.E. E. Doc Smith. From all of us at Uvula Audio, we thank you. <laughs>